Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. So good to see you here today. It's also good to know that we have so many friends, family, maybe even a few enemies watching from home or listening on the podcast. We are in the midst of a series of messages about what it means to be part of God's story. And you may remember from last week, we talked about how conversion is both a once-in-a-lifetime event and a lifelong process. We can become a Christian in an instant, but it can take a lifetime to become more like Christ. Today we're going to dig deeper into the nature of that lifelong process. Love the story of a group of tourists walking through a picturesque village. And they come upon an old man sitting by a fence. And one of the tourists stops and asks the old man, Sir, were any great people born in this village? No, says the old man. Only babies. Because great men and great women are not born great. They are shaped and formed and even transformed over the course of a lifetime by both positive and negative experiences and influences. And in the same way, great Christians, saints, are not born great. They are born again into God's story and experience new life in Christ, the event. But from there, they spend the rest of their lives becoming more and more like Christ. Central to the Christian faith. It's not an add-on, not an elective, not an afterthought. Central to the Christian faith is the expectation that we as followers, as disciples of Christ, will become more and more like the one we follow the longer we follow. So that who you are now, today, should not be who you were 10, 20, or 40 years ago. Nor should it be who you are 10, 20, or 40 years from now. We're always growing into greater and greater degrees of Christ-likeness. And in his writings, the Apostle Paul uses a family or a group of words to talk about how we become more like Christ. He says in Galatians 4.19, writing to the church in Galatia, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is Formed, there it is. The root is morph, morph, till Christ is morphed in you. Christ growing in us individually and collectively as a church, as a baby grows in the womb. So Christ is growing in us. And then in Romans 8 29, he uses a similar word. 
It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We are conformed. We are molded and shaped like a potter shapes clay into the image of Christ. Again, the root word there is morph. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplates the Lord's glory are being transformed. There it is again. Are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We are transformed. Like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. We sinners are transformed into saints. This is the power of the gospel at work in us. This is what we expect the gospel to do in us, forming Christ within us and conforming and transforming us into the image of Christ. And it's this ongoing process of transformation that is essential to the Christian way of life. Because the more like Christ we become, the more useful we are in God's mission of redeeming and restoring and repairing God's broken world. God is transforming us. Transforming us into agents of transformation that then make a difference in our world. And so our longing, our pursuit our prioritization of Christ-likeness is not a selfish endeavor. We're not doing it solely for our benefit. We do it for the benefit of others. We do it for the good, the sake of the world, for the sake of God's mission. It's not just for us, it's for others. I had to tell both of my boys when they were about 10 years old, son, you don't wear deodorant primarily for your benefit. It's not for you. It's for me. It's for your mom. It's for the crowd of people that you just knocked over when you walked by. You do it for others. And we pursue Christ's likeness, not just for our own benefit, though we benefit, but also for the sake of the world. So how does this process work? How does Christ's likeness happen? How do we become more like Christ? How do we morph into Christ's likeness? The process of transformation is a mysterious combination of God's power and our intentional activity, our effort, resulting in a changed life. I'll say that again. The process of transformation is a mysterious combination. It's never a formula. It's a mysterious combination of God's power, God's spirit, and our activity, our effort, resulting in a changed life. And this process is neatly summarized in 2 Peter chapter 1, opening passage of that letter. The writer begins, chapter 1, verse 3, says, His, being God's, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. God supplies the power through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's God at work in us. It's the power of the gospel at work in us. 
The possibility of becoming more like Christ is a result of God's grace at work in us. We do not will ourselves, we do not make ourselves into little Christs, to use C.S. Lewis's terminology. It is a gift from God. And yet then the writer continues in verse 5, though. For this very reason, since God is supplying the power, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self-control and self-control. And he goes on and on, listing virtues of Christ's likeness. We have a role to play in this process. Our effort, our activity, our engagement is our response to the grace of God at work in us. That order is important. God always moves first. God is the initiator. God saves. And we respond. God pours out his grace and we respond. We, we have to show up. Christ's likeness does not happen accidentally, does not happen automatically, and God does not force it on us. We participate in the process. We show up and we open up so that God's power can grow us up. We show up, we open up, and it's God's power then that grows us up. The writer continues and says that if you possess these qualities, these Christ-like virtues in increasing measure, if you're growing in them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not growing in Christ-likeness, you are less effective, less productive in your relationship with Christ, in your participation in God's mission. It says, furthermore, if you're not growing in these virtues, if you're not becoming more like Christ, it's a sign that you're nearsighted and blind, forgetting that you have been cleansed from your past sins. To not make every effort to grow in Christ's likeness is a sign you've lost sight of the grace of God that forgave you in the first place. You've missed the point of redemption. You've missed the point of salvation. You've missed the point of the gospel. The point is not just to take away your sin. It's to populate God's world with more and more people who are more and more like Christ. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters who are being conformed into his image. Now, as I say all of this, emphasizing making every effort, our role in the process, please don't confuse making every effort to grow in Christ's likeness with simply trying harder to be more like Christ, trying harder to be a better person, there's a difference. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul uses an image to describe his goal as a Christ follower. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Now, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it. Do what? We do it. Do what? We go into strict training to get a crown that will last forever. He used a similar language in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, here it is again, train yourself to be godly for physical training, working out, being in good shape, 
That's of some value, but godliness, training for godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Dallas Willard, in his writings, uses these two verses in this language of training to make a distinction between trying to be more like Christ and training for Christ-likeness. My big message to you today, for those of you who are participating in this process of transformation, is stop trying and start training. Because there's a big difference. You don't try to run a marathon. You don't sign up the day before and then show up the next morning, line up at the starting line and give it your best effort. You can do that, and some people do it as a joke or as an experiment. They rarely finish the race, and those who do end up hospitalized. You don't just try to run it. There's a more effective, successful way to do it. You train for it. You train to run a marathon. You train for the race. A number of years ago, I ran two marathons. And it took months of training to build up my endurance and my speed. A three-mile run, a five-mile run, a seven, a nine, an 11, and I built up and built up until finally on race day, I showed up prepared and ready and confident that I had done the necessary training to run 26.2 miles. I always emphasize the point two. That was the hardest point two of a mile I have ever run or staggered forward. You don't try to run the race. You train for it. This is true in so many other areas of life. You don't try to speak English. You train for it. Many of us have been training to speak English since the day we were born. And we still don't do it very good. And yet we keep training because we know we will get gooder at it. It's a process. And if you wake up one day and you decide, I want to be a better person. I'm going to try harder to be a good person. I'm going to try harder to be more like Christ. Here we go. I'm trying. You'll likely find yourself ill-equipped for the task. Especially when it gets hard. Because it will. You can stumble and fall and fail, and then give up. Because what's the point in trying? It doesn't work. Because you're trying to run a race for which you haven't been training. And Paul says, as followers of Christ, we go into strict training to run well the race of the Christian life. And there are a number of ways to do this. I said earlier, it's not a formula. There's no one right way to train. And in fact, every person with a different personality is likely going to have a different training program. But there are some exercises, training exercises and practices and disciplines that Christians have historically used to show up and open up so God can grow them up. And there are many others, but these are some of the most common and some of the most effective. When we engage in these activities, they're valuable in and of themselves. 
there's a benefit to us when we do them, but they're also training us for something more, something bigger, something greater. They're training us to participate in God's mission. So when we worship, gather here in a place like this, and we engage in worship, we are training ourselves to focus more on God and, and take ourselves less seriously. And when we read our Bible regularly, we are training ourselves to better understand God's story, but also to see ourselves within God's story. We're also training our wisdom. As we read about how God deals with different people in different situations and different people respond to God in different ways, that's wisdom. When we pray, we're training ourselves to connect to the heart of God and to listen for God's voice and to go to God with our needs when we're in trouble. When we engage in periodic fasting, abstaining from food, we are training the appetites of our flesh, training ourselves to say no to those appetites as they can easily lead us astray. When we engage in silence and solitude, we're training ourselves to slow down and remember who we are and why we're here and what God has called us to do and what we're learning from our experiences. When we engage in acts of service, we're training ourselves to put the needs and interests of others above our own. Training ourselves to make sacrifices, to be uncomfortable or inconvenienced for others. And when we do those acts of service in secret so that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. We are training ourselves to depend on what God says about us, not what other people say about us, for our sense of value and worth and esteem. And then, of course, when we engage in fellowship, we're training ourselves in the art of forgiving and showing grace to fellow Christians who drive us absolutely crazy. It's a training exercise. And we engage in these different practices and exercises, not because we're trying to impress God or trying to earn our salvation or trying to demonstrate our superiority over other Christians. We do this because we are responding to the power of God at work in us and because we want to be ready to respond to whatever life throws at us us in the future. We want to be ready for anything. We want to be ready for tomorrow. Well, what happens tomorrow? Precisely. And so we train. And so we practice. And so we build routines and habits. The athletes we admire the most, the ones that are in the Hall of Fame, the ones we'll pay big money to see in action, when they are at their best, they often talk about being in the zone. The spotlight is on. It's when it matters the most. They're not trying to be great. They're not forcing it. They're relying on all their practice, on all their routines, on all their habits, on all their training, so that they can let go and do what comes naturally in that moment because they have been training their entire lives for it. And in the same way, when the moment of truth comes for us, when the spotlight is on us, when the angels are holding their breath and anticipating, waiting to see how we will respond, when you're in a 
hotel bar by yourself on a business trip. Or in the checkout line and a cashier makes a mistake in your favor. Or when your toddler, that you love with all your heart, has a public meltdown and pushes you to the brink. Or when you see an opportunity to help or serve someone you don't really like and certainly don't agree with. When you're put on the spot and it's your moment, your moment to make the right choice, the wise choice, to say or do the right thing, to respond like Christ in that moment. Can you imagine what it would be like to be able to respond to temptation or adversity or an opportunity in a Christ-like way without even trying, without even having to think about it? Because you've been training for it. So what is your personal training plan for growth and development and transformation. Do you have one? Maybe you have one and it's stalled, it's stale, you're stuck in a rut. Maybe showing up here most Sundays and reading your Bible every day, maybe that's not challenging you to grow anymore. So you keep doing it, but it's time to add something new to the mix. Add a new exercise. Or maybe you don't have one at all other than being here. And you're here, so that's a start. But if you don't have an intentional plan, develop one. You're here on Sundays. What do you do in between Sundays? What exercises do you engage in? How are you every day intentionally showing up and opening up so the power of God can grow you up in Christ? If you're tired of trying and failing, start training. I'll close with these words from Paul in Galatians 6. This is from the message translation. He said, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. You reap what you sow. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants, I would say the one who trains in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Stop trying. Start training. Let's stand and read the Lord's Prayer out loud together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Happy training. I'll see you next week.
Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.